chapter one of some battle stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales some battle stories by alec john dawson chapter one what it's like in the push there is nothing of the professional publicist about the average wounded soldier officer or man now landing day by day at southampton they are all more concerned thank goodness with action than speech with doing things and getting them done rather than with describing them it is not of course that these heroes of ours are either unwilling or unable to talk they are almost invariably and no matter what the nature of their wounds in the highest of good spirits delighted to pay a visit to blighty happy to have had the chance of playing the fine part they have played in the great allied offensive absolutely assured as to the victorious outcome of the push but they have no very accurate notions as to the relative values of the different disjointed staccato frequently vivid bits of information they have to dispense with matches or scraps of paper or a nicotine-stained forefinger made to serve as pencil in the nearest conveniently dusty surface they will give you elaborate expositions of the tactics they have helped to work out their little lectures on the strategy of the push are frequently couched in language more graphic racy and convincing than the most free and easy of generals ever permits himself to use and their lovable faces sometimes show a glimmer of disappointment for that one does not take copious notes regarding these demonstrations but on the other hand they deprecate with almost pitying wonder the notes one does jot down from time to time in talk with them when by accident they enrich one with some vivid stabbing little thrust of triumphant scene-painting likely to provide an answer to the constantly reiterated question as to what it's like in the push oh i say you know don't bother about that guff everybody knows about that of course but if you really want to know what the plan was in the blank blank show i can tell you in a minute so far as our brigade went you see zero was blank blank and we were on the right flank of the blank blank etc at the moment one has specially in mind a young company commander a captain of the blank blank almost the last wounded soldier to be landed from the hospital ship blank blank on a certain recent night he had a good deal of the descriptive gift and was perfectly unconscious of his occasional use of it one strained his indulgence a good deal and took many notes while talking with him what one sets down here are just the bits he regarded as guff convinced that every one knows about that of course his fluent strategy and tactics uh, but i promise they shall be preserved in the archives of his grateful country eh oh just an ordinary front-line trench you know rather chipped about of course by the boche heavies you know but blank blank oh hang it you know what the ordinary fire trench looks like along the north side of the mammoth's woods we were what 
oh, oh yes we were packed pretty close of course while we were waiting only got there a little before midnight my chaps were all in splendid heart and keen as mustard to get the word go i was lucky met my friend g almost directly we got in he's had months in that bit of the line and knew every twist of it so was able to give me tips he took me along to his dugout after i got all my chaps in position and gave me some jolly good hot cafe au lait tell you a funny thing about that dugout after good dugout with a darned sight better overhead cover than most or it wouldn't have been there after the pounding the line had had in the week before g had a magnificent arrangement for cooking i forget the name of the stove but you pump it up like a bicycle tire and then it burns like the deuce gives you a hot drink before you can turn around i'm going to have one before i go back we had two good-sized kettles and after we'd finished our drink we ran a regular canteen for about half an hour boiling up cafe au lait as fast as the machine would turn it out and dishing it out all along the line of my fellows in their mess tins the weather was jolly just then but there'd been a lot of rain and the trench was in a beastly state you know what it's like after a lot of straffing when you get heavy rains on the churned-up ground it was like porridge with syrup over it and we were all absolutely plastered hair and moustaches and everything before we'd been half an hour in the place the boche was crumping us pretty heavy all the time but it didn't really matter because for some reason he hadn't seemed to have got our range just right and nearly all his big stuff was landing in front or behind and giving us very little but the mud of it what did worry me a bit was his machine-guns his snipers too seemed fairly on the spot though how the devil they could be with our artillery as busy as it was i can't think but i know several of my sentries were laid out by rifle bullets i particularly wanted to let the others get a smoke when they could seeing we'd be there three or four hours helps to keep em steady in the waiting you know but we had to be mighty careful about matches the boches being no more than a hundred yards off i hate the feeling of that stinking porridgey clay caking on your hands and face don't you but one didn't notice it after a bit because it was the same all over but one had to watch out for rifles and ammunition and that you know pretty easy to get all the rifle barrels bunged up in the dark you know our adjutant came along about three checking up watches and giving us divisional time mine was all right never stopped once from the day i bought it till that left wrist of mine was hit see it registers my first hit eight twenty six i'll keep that souvenir but i'm afraid it's done as a timekeeper just before three i got my position right in the middle of my company we were going over at eight twenty five you know the trench was deep there with a hell of a lot of mud and water but there was no set parapet left just a gradual slope of muck as though cartloads of it had been dropped from the sky by giants spilt porridge i wanted to be first out if i could good effect on the men you know but i couldn't trust myself amid all that muck so i'd collared a rum case from blank's dugout and was nursing the blooming thing so that when the time came i could plant it in the mud and get a bit of a spring from that 
glad i did too i passed the word along at a quarter past to be ready for my whistle but it was all you could do to make a fellow hear by shouting in his ear our heavies were giving it lip then i can tell you i was in a devil of a stew lest some of my chaps should get over too soon they kept wriggling up and forward in the mud they were frightfully keen to get moving i gathered from my sergeant their one fear was that if we couldn't soon get going our artillery would have left no strafing for us to do little they knew their bosh if they thought that i thought i could just make out our artillery lift about a minute and a half before the twenty-five but i wouldn't swear to it on the stroke of the twenty-five i got a good jump from my rum-box and fell head first into a little pool whiz-bang hole i suppose something small it loosened two of my front teeth pretty much i'd my whistle in my teeth you see but i blew like blazes directly i got my head up never made a sound whistle full of mud but it didn't matter a bit they all saw me take my dive and a lot were in front of me when i got going but i overhauled em and got in front i believe we must have got nearly fifty yards without a casualty but it's hard to say it wasn't light you know just a glimmering kind of a greyness not easy to spot casualties the row of course was deafening and we were running like lamplighters you remember our practice stunts at home short rushes and taking cover in folds of the ground remember your file of direction sir dressin by the right and all that oh the boys remembered it right enough but good lord it wasn't much like salisbury plain we were going hell for leather you know you think you're going strong and whoosh you've put your face deep in porridge fallen in a shell-hole you trip over some blame thing and you turn a complete somersault and you're on again not quite sure which end of you is up spitting out mud wondering where your second wind is lord you haven't a notion whether you're hit or not i felt that smack on my left wrist along with a dozen other smacks of one sort or another but i didn't know it was a wound for an hour or more all you thought about was trying to keep your rifle muzzle up and i guess the fellows behind must have thought a bit about not sticking us with their bayonets more'n they could help i was shouting blank the local name of the regiment you know the boys like it but my sergeant who was close to me was just yelling down em boys and stick em stick em for all he was worth my lot were bound for the second line you see my number twelve platoon with eighteen of d were to look after cleaning up the bosch first line there was no real parapet left in that bosch front line their trench was just a sort of gash a ragged crack in the porridge where i was there was quite a bit of their wire left but do you know one didn't feel it a bit you can judge a bit from my rage what it was like we went at it like fellows in a race charged the tape and it didn't hurt us any more only thing that worried us was the porridge and the holes your feet sinking down make you feel you're crawling making no headway i wish i could have seen a bit better it was all a muddy blur to me but i made out a line of faces in the bosch ditch and i know i gave a devil of a yell as we jumped for those faces lost my rifle there afraid i didn't stick my man really because my bayonet struck solid earth i just smashed my fellow 
we went down into the muck together and another chap trod on my neck for a moment makes you think quick i tell you i pulled that chap down on top of my other bosh and just took one good look to make sure he was a bosh and then i gave him two rounds from my revolver with the barrel in his face i think i killed the under one too but can't be sure next thing i knew we were scrambling on to the second line it was in the wire of the second line that i got my knockout this shoulder and some splinters in my head oh yes bomb i was out of business then but as the light grew i could see my chaps having the time of their lives inside that second line one of em hauled me in after a bit and i got a drink of beer in a big bosh dugout down two separate flights of steps my hat that beer was good though it was german but look here i'm in number five train that that chap's calling i must get ashore just want to tell you about that dugout of g's in our own line you know it was four o'clock in the afternoon and we'd got the bazantine wood all right then when my orderly who never got a scratch was helping me back making for our dressing station we crawled into what had been a trench and while i was taking a breather i sort of looked around and made out a bit here and a bend there begad it was the trench we started from seems nothing but you've no idea how odd it was to me like dropping into a bit of england after about a century and a half in well in some special kind of hell you know seemed so devilish odd that any mortal thing should be the same anywhere after that day not that it was the same really my rum case was in splinters sticking up out of the porridge and i found my map case there torn off my belt as we got over at eight twenty five won't be much left of that dugout i thought and i got my orderly to help me along to see couldn't find the blessed thing anyhow went backwards and forwards three or four times then i spotted the head of a long trench stick that g had carried poking out through soft earth at the back of the trench the orderly worked that stick about a little and the earth fell away it was just loose dry stuff blown off the roof of the dugout and blocking the little entrance came away at a touch almost and there was the little hole you got in by i worried through somehow i was really curious to see if you'll believe me the inside of that dugout it looked like a drawing-room to me after after the outside you know it was just exactly the same as when we'd left it the night before there was the fine stove we made the cafe au lait on with a half-empty box of matches balanced on the side of it and the last empty tin of the coffee stuff we'd used with the broken-handled spoon standing up in it just as i'd left it and g's notebook lying open and face down on an air pillow in his bunk most extraordinary homely there was i looking at his notebook and his hold all and poor g dead yes i'd seen his body and the rats too the rats were cavorting around on the felt of the roof happy as sandboys they didn't know anything about the push i suppose by the way we found only dead rats in the bosch trenches they say it was our gas i don't know but there were thousands of dead rats there and millions of live fleas very live they were Oh, I must get. Cheerio. End of chapter 1